Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Danny Carter and John Daigle, where we will be breaking down the final weekend of preseason action and tackling some of the biggest questions facing drafters heading into crunch time. Gentlemen, uh, I felt like, you know, normally at the beginning of the show, we start with, you know, a piece of ephemera, a piece of our lives, but uh, it is crunch time. So I thought I would ask you a draft question off the top of your heads. Gross. I'm horrified. We're going to start with Denny because I bet you're more horrified. Presuming Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook are already off the board, who do you go at number three overall in the PPR league go? Tyreek Hill. I like that answer, actually. Yeah, that was too good for a spur of the moment off the top of your head answer. I wanted you to panic and be like, uh, Harris. <laughs> right. That's uh, Edwards. Uh, I find myself at number three, like, kind of like just hating my life, like having too much choice. I mean, do you. I do. Can you do the big dog, Derrick Henry, in PPR? Do you just go receiver? Do you do something cool like trendy, like Aaron Jones? What are you doing, Daigle? It's either Zeke or Kamara. I'm open to either. It has been Zeke for me since March. Uh, it seems like everyone else has caught on because even his FFPC ADP in the high stakes main event leagues are right around there. But then again, that's a tournament format in a 12 team league. There's nothing wrong with Tyreek Hill. There's nothing wrong with Devontae Adams because you're only playing against 11 other people. Thus, the higher floor, arguably, those receivers have over the volatility of any running back, even if I'm high on Zeke and Kamara, is probably safer against just 11 people. So whatever you want to do, honestly, I'm taking Zeke, but also receiver is a very valid argument. Do I get canceled for taking Derrick Henry at yes. number three in a PPR? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Here, here's the argument. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I would have said the same thing. Until uh, our, our good colleague Kyle Dvorak talks some sense into me, and, and here's here's the argument. In short, Henry had one of the greatest seasons possible last year on the ground. Okay, as he does. Right, uh, over two thousand yards. He was a thousand yards clear of the fifth leading rusher in the NFL. Okay, so just just a tremendous uh, year on the ground, as you know, as you know. And uh, he still finished five points uh, per game lower. Than Alvin Kamara, because because of the PPR factor, because of the the pass catching factor. I think that means that we need to curb our addiction to PPR, and that we are it's against nature 
uh, <laughs> against uh, and that it's wrong what we're it's doing with PPR. It's Even though I love PPR, I, I only do PPR, but I, I'm beginning to feel like it's against nature if it means you can't take the big dog at number three. You know, I, I'm not. I don't know what to say about the nature part, but I, I, I will say that the the, the argument that uh, Henry's going to have to have the greatest rushing season of all time to even come <laughs> close to Alvin Kamara this year is pretty pretty incredible. To me, it simply comes down to his low pass catching floor. I prioritize guys who can actually get volume and catch the ball, and we know that Henry won't get either. Uh, it won't, it'll be shocking if he has 40 catches, absolutely shocking this oh. year. If he finishes with 40 catches at any point in his career, it would be completely shocking and he should, but we also know that's not what they do. He should literally get two screens a game and yes. one would always go 99 yes. yards. It's just like the 11th commandment, but it's not going to happen. Thus we are going pass catching running back in those spots or wide receiver. It is will, you go, Denny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're playing in standard leagues, which I guess there are still some some subsection of, of uh, managers doing that, then I, yeah, I actually think that Henry is should be fine at two or three, uh, honestly. Um, you know, but but if there's pass catching involved, uh, I'm not taking, or at least you know, if I was a normal person, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider uh, drafting Henry until maybe like the eighth and ninth pick. It is just truly insane. He doesn't get two to three screens per game. And he, if he caught 40 passes, he would probably be the number one overall player in yeah. PPR. Uh, Cause I mean, he would do such extreme damage and 40 is kind of like a nice baseline for like an actually valuable PPR back. And by the way, Kamara, I tweeted out over the weekend, um, this stat, the, the last Jameis Winston running back to exceed 40 receptions was uh, Charles Sims in, oh two, in 2015. And obviously I wasn't saying that was like predictive. I was just saying it was interesting. And like a very Jameis stat. You know, Kamara has never caught fewer than 80 passes. Are we still comfortable saying Alvin Kamara 80 passes in the bank? I would think so, right? Because where else do they go? Now it is basically – Marquez Callaway and Kamara and that is it uh like maybe the offense falters but you would think they run through Kamara we've seen that in the past whenever Drew Brees was out and for instance Teddy Bridgewater was under center uh two years ago it did not happen with Taysom Hill as Kamara did spike a double digit target game one time but averaged uh just three targets or fewer in his other three contests with Hill under center. So I would think Sean Payton as an intelligent play caller is focusing everything around him, which is why he is three or four for me. Yeah. And I, it seems that Winston is all in on the system, you know, mm -hmm. on, on Sean Payton's plan. And if that's the case and there's no reason to doubt that it is, I, I don't think then the plan is to feed Alvin Kamara and that, and that's, that's no secret. So I, I, I do think that although Winston has not been a guy who dumps it off, but rather takes uh, downfield shots, sometimes very dumb uh, downfield shots. I think that that, that is something that could change with the, this new version of Jameis Winston, who, you know, looks way bit different ways, slim, you know, slimmed down a ton uh, the LASIK eye surgery, the, uh, you know, abiding by uh, an offensive system. I, it's a different guy. Yeah. But I, by the way, I'm not, uh, I would go Kamara or Tyreek probably at number three in a PPR. I, I'm not actually going the big dog, but it's just kind of like, where have we gone wrong as a society? <laughs> when we can't take Derrick Henry with the top three pick in the most common <laughs> format of fantasy football. I, I just find it sad. 
But yeah, I do think it's probably Kamara or Tyreek for me. I mean, I know Tyreek at number three, that's probably too rich for some people, but I do think like, I think Tyreek is in a tier by himself alone, the receiver ranks and uh, we could continue that conversation, but we, we got to dig into a loaded weekend of preseason in action and news. Um, you know, even though many teams elected not to play their starters, one that did was the Baltimore Ravens, and their reward was J.K. Dobbins is out for the season. Um, the question on everyone's mind now is how high for Gus Edwards in your RB2 rankings, and who is the new 1B, uh, the prince who was promised, Justice Hill, or second-year undrafted free agent Tyson Williams, who I really had not heard of until like 10 days ago. Uh, John, so we'll start with you. Like, is this is, – we're not doing a one-for-one one replacement for J.K. Dobbins in the rankings, right? It's, there's there's got to be some kind of docking because of the pass catching. But where do you have Gus Edwards in your final week rankings? I guess it depends where you had J.K. Dobbins. I was much lower on him. So, to me, shoving Gus Edwards in at RB19, RB20, that is a one-for-one one replacement because that's where I had Dobbins anyhow. The Ravens, remember, have finished with the league's third and fourth fewest targets from Lamar Jackson the past two years. And there has been some coach speak that they will pass more to their running backs. But, again, I don't believe that. If you choose to, you should have Edwards much higher because that's how he reached this ceiling. And that's why I keep guys right now like Chris Carson, DeAndre Swift, uh, workhorses with that pass catching role we know over him since Edward ceiling is capped without that even though his volume and touch floor clearly goes up without Dobbins I know there was one game last year where Justice Hill was the number two and he'll actually split carries with Edwards nine to nine against the Steelers but remember RG3 was in for quarterback, got injured in the first half, and Trace McSorley came in. Also, Des Bryant was playing tight end for Mark Andrews because there was just COVID and injuries riddled throughout that entire team. So I just throw out that one game of evidence we have out the window and say that, of course, Edwards is going to be have a higher increased touch floor here. And that's why I'm prioritizing there in the mid-fifth round is where I took him in my home 12-team league on Saturday. I mean, mid fifth sounds like kind of a deal uh, I, I in, a, in a draft on. It was a McCaffrey team, too. He's my number two. Oh, man. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's not bad. That's not many are saying that's not bad. The, um, uh, yeah, Edwards, I actually do think that you can treat him as a one for one replacement for, for, for Dobbins. And maybe that's just the Gus Edwards truther in me. But uh, so I would take uh, Gus Edwards in the running back 16 range. Hi. Um, I would take him over James Robinson. I would take him over Chris Carson. Um, I would take him possibly over David Montgomery, although that's it's yeah, a, you're, a you're canceled you're a fine. little a little bit may, maybe a little bit of a reach. I would definitely definitely take him over guys. Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Henderson Davis. Those guys come not not even I don't even consider them close. So uh, yeah, no that that's where I'm taking him. And also uh, there's very little question I, I, I believe according to both Lamar Jackson and ESPN's Jamison Hensley as to who will be the RB two in the Baltimore backfield with Dobbins out. It's Tyson Williams. It's not justice Hill. When Lamar Jackson was asked about how the Ravens offense proceeds from here without Dobbins, he cited two guys, Gus and Tyson. That's it. He did not say Mm -hmm. anything else this morning. Jamison Hensley said, uh, you know, from ESPN, he said that justice Hill has been leapfrogged by Tyson Williams, who had an incredibly solid preseason. I understand preseason, it matters as much as you want it to matter sometimes, but he, I think he fits the, the offensive style 
more possibly more than, than Justice Hill. Uh, and he should, I think he should be drafted in, in uh, deep, slightly deeper leagues, but not, not incredibly deep. I think that, you know, he's a guy who, who could emerge if anything happens to Edwards. To quickly add to that point, Harbaugh was asked about Williams this morning again about his place on the roster. And Harbaugh responded, you do the math. He's there. He'll be out there playing and doing it. And obviously he's ready to go. He's practiced every day and he's excited about his opportunity. Also, let's pin this down because I don't know if Denny's right or wrong. This is more rhetorical question. Is it Tyson Williams or Tyson Williams? I believe it. It's Tyson. According to to uh, the, the B writers. That's how I believe you. I just don't know. That's why I'm asking. I, mean, I, I question with Tyson's decision to put an apostrophe in the middle of the name Tyson. So it, it is creating confusion. Uh, I do believe that Tyson has leaped Justice Hill because this is kind of what Justice Hill does, I guess, is get leaped by people. Yeah. You know, so hyped as a rookie in 2019 and just easily surpassed by Gus Edwards. It, even though this is only his third year, Justice Hill kind of feels like a guy where it was going to happen. It would have happened by now. He just – some something with the coach – you, John, just something with the – he doesn't fit with what they want to do. He's just not – doesn't fit with their program. I was just going to quickly say I had literally haven't heard anyone talk about Justice Hill no. except for those who are burning their dynasty shares. That's it. Like no one in Baltimore's organization is mentioning Hill at all. It would not be shocking if we see him cut by 3 p.m. today. That's right. Uh, he had five carries for five yards this preseason. Mm-hmm. Justice Hill. That's rough stuff. And Tyson, by the way, he's like a 25-year-old second-year undrafted free agent who he played for South Carolina, then he transferred to BYU. He like never even came close to 500 yards in a college season. And we've seen guys with these kind of like mysterious profiles emerge all the time, but it is like a very – this guy must be, you know, practicing the hell out of practice, yeah, basically. Because yeah. uh, And by the way, I think circling back to Gus Edwards – I don't think he's quite a one-for-one replacement for J.K. Dobbins. I had Dobbins like the RB15 to 16. But everyone I've talked to basically has said Gus kind of slotted into like the RB to 18 to 20 range. I have him at RB19, which I think John said. And to me, the question with Gus is, do you go Gus Edwards or you go Josh Jacobs? And it sounds like you guys both were definitively uh, team Gus. To me, like Josh Jacobs is the dividing line for Gus because that's like the role we want for Gus you know, like 18 to 20 carries is like a pure early down back. who's not going to catch many passes. I just feel like a little more comfortable with Josh Jacobs. Cause that is like so baked in for him. Like we've seen that two years now, Gus, you know, it's just, we just have, he, he's been groomed for this role. So I think you can pretty safely project that, but I feel like just like the two years of knowing that's Josh Jacobs role gives maybe him like a slight edge for me over Gus Edward, but I could definitely see the argument you know, Gus and the much going to have much better game flow and the much better offense isn't going to get yanked off the field as much as Josh Jacobs. So I definitely understand taking Gus Edwards ahead of Josh Jacobs. I said it already, but I'll just emphasize the point. It literally comes down to if he has a third down role and that will unlock his ceiling. Uh, I actually shouldn't say if he has a third down role, if Lamar Jackson throws running back passes at all. Yeah. Uh, J.K. Dobbins had 24 targets last year because he was that third down running back. But also Gus Edwards, it's not like he has bad hands. He's caught 18 of 22 career targets. It's literally because they don't throw running backs the ball. If they throw running backs the ball, J.K. Dobbins will likely finish. I wouldn't say likely. He has a very good opportunity to finish and fight for a low-end RB1 position with Antonio Gibson with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, with Najee Harris, just because we know he's also going to be an extremely efficient in a very friendly offense. I just kind of thought of a nightmare scenario, by the way. I was looking at perusing Tyson Williams' sports reference page, 
And uh, he never caught more than 12 passes in a season. And he caught he got 29 total passes in four college, college seasons. And, like, we know Gus doesn't have much of a pass-catching profile. What if the Ravens end up going a three-man backfield, kind of like they did you know, last year uh, with Mark Ingram? And, like, Justice – it's, like, kind of like nobody behind Gus. There's no value behind Gus. And everyone's just sad. Look, looking forward to the Ravens trading for Mark Ingram so they can help you scratch him again. Oh, my gosh, please. Uh, that's a uh, triggering thought. I, I uh, Just a real quick note for my fellow Zero RB truthers. Uh, we are we are off Gus Edwards. It's over. It's over for Gus Edwards. As right. zero, you, you're not getting him as Zero RB target. We, we've been getting him. No more. If your draft is this week, we're, ta- we're, we're targeting Tyson Williams at the end of drafts, period. It, uh, so we're on to Tyson. He's graduated. He's like it's like when a, ba- a prospect in baseball gets promoted, you take him off the prospect rankings list, and Gus Edwards yeah. is off the zero RB list. The biggest non-injury news of the weekend was the Saints finally admitting Jameis Winston would be their primary passer. I think the question is, do you think that's all Jameis will be? Is the primary passer, or will he get to actually stay on the field in the red zone? Uh, what is your final rankings resting place? For Jameis Winston, how afraid are we of Taysom Hill, Denny? Uh, you you referring to Jameis Winston as the primary passer for the Saints is one of the most tilting things I've ever heard in my life. Uh, because you're not wrong, probably. I, I mean, Taysom's still going to be a thing. You know, Sean Payton loves to you know toy around with defenses and bring Taysom Hill in on short yardage and possibly goal line situations so I don't think that that's going to end I I will just add here quickly that Taysom Hill lost weight uh Uh this offseason to try to compete for the quarterback job he he said I lost weight because I didn't I, I, I don't need to be uh, in, in the position. I'm not going to be in a position to take hits as a, as a runner. He's not going to be a gunner anymore, maybe. <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, that, that, that is, I mean, it's possible that he gets back to that weight. Or, I, I don't know how hard it is to, <laughs> to lose and gain weight that, that you know, as, a, as an NFL player. But um, that, that is something that stuck out to me. Uh, I, have, I have Jameis Winston at QB 17 at the moment. And it's just all because of the uncertainty around the Taysom role. But, you know, I'm excited for what this means for the Saints offense. Like, we're going to get downfield shots now. We're going to get actual big chunk plays out of New Orleans, which we did not have at all. Maybe if they have the personnel for that, uh, which maybe he's got, he was working the downfield connection with Callaway in the preseason. I mean, Traquan Smith on paper profiles for that. But it is way I, I don't know, man. Traquan Smith is one of the best downfield uh, pass catchers in, in college football when he was when when he played. And that was so, nine years ago. Yeah, no, I know, I know. He's forty seven years old now. But yeah, no, I, I and no Smith and Callaway. I think are are, are excellent. You know, downfield. They are downfield threats. They're downfield threats. Uh, it's, so, it's it's my same spin for Traquan as it is for Cortland Sutton. He's now in a situation, Sutton, for instance, with Bridgewater that we don't know. And too many times people correlate we don't know with negative. 
But also there's that other side, which could be very good for Traquan. We know he's a superb athlete. He's never been throwing the ball downfield. Thus, we don't know. It could be better. Also, the main point is that now he's going literally seven or eight rounds after Marquez Calloway, since Calloway has just exploited the preseason um, with all of his strengths downfield. So, of course, I would don't mind taking a flyer on Traquan Smith now. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point with Traquan Smith, where like his entry into the NFL and the Saints offense coincided with Drew Brees just kind of, you know, abandoning the downfield passing aspect of his game just wasn't a part of the Saints offense for basically the entirety of Traquan Smith's rookie contract so far. And yet the Traquan fading has probably gone way, way too far. And we love Marcus Callaway. He should be the first Saints wide receiver off the board. But that is a very, very critical point. Remember, Traquan Smith is a guy who has even with the lack of emphasis on deep passing, had some spiked weeks over the past years. Like he's put some big games on NFL film. So yeah, that is a really important reminder for these final two weeks, not to forget about Traquan Smith. Quick game, Denny, since you said you put him at QB 17. So in a vacuum, Jameis Winston or Tua? I wanted to play this game too. We'll say in a super flex or say in a super flex, Jameis or Tua? Jameis. Jameis Winston or Ryan Fitzpatrick? Fitzy. Jameis Winston or Baker Mayfield? Jameis. It's Bakes. It's Bakes. Okay. That, those are, I mean, that's the tier I have him in. Yeah. I'm assuming yeah. you have Justin Fields over him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the tier I have. What about okay. Kirk Cousins? Because like Kirk Cousins. Oh, yeah. That's a good name too. A pure downfield passer has like, like, so they're, they're both two weapon quarterbacks. Kirk's are considerably better than Jameis's. Uh, yeah, I'll ask John first and Denny in a super flex. Are you drafting Kirk Cousins or Jameis Winston? <sighs> Kirk Cousins, <laughs> if I have Trey Lance. Otherwise, it is Jameis Winston. Um, I think it's just Cousins for me. <laughs> I, I, I think I'll just I'll just go with Cousins. I you know the 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 Vikings desperately don't want to be a passing team. That that's that's mm-hmm. clear every year. Um, and if for my Vikings team preview. I talked with Arif Hassan from The Athletic, and he said, like, that ideally Kirk Cousins would be a game manager. But he does have, you know, two really good receivers, uh, and he can be useful for fantasy uh, when when game script kind of goes haywire for Minnesota. So I like him. And there you have it, folks. Uh, there you have it from Denny. Denny, a big Kirk Cousins fan. Uh, who knew? Uh, um, well, you know, I for on-field stuff, sure. Every league, Denny has Kirk Cousins in every league. That's what he was saying before the show. That's why I asked and, him about it. And um, Cole Beasley. Yeah, obviously. Uh, beyond Jameis at quarterback, the Eagles acquired Gardner Minshew for a sixth-round pick. And, you know, they've essentially gone from sub-tweeting Jalen Hurts to <laughs> now full-on quote-tweeting him, telling him to log off. Uh, we know Jalen Hurts is going to be starting week one, but Truly, like, how comfortable can we be with this situation at this point? And what is your final rankings resting place for Jalen Hurts, John? Is he still a QB1? Like, someone who was consistently in that QB6 to 8 range early in the summer, now on, like, the QB1 borderline, where do you feel comfortable taking Jalen Hurts? I still think he should be right behind or ahead of Justin Herbert, totally subjective to what everyone else thinks uh, and ahead of guys who aren't going to run the ball and have to be efficient through the air like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford. The fact that the Eagles didn't get Sean Watson, 
we knew behind the scenes a trade was in place for three picks. But then Watson, surprisingly, I don't know why, actually, especially because they could have built around him with a, a few additional picks they have. But either way, Watson nicks the trade to Philadelphia. Now it seems like it's down to Miami for whatever that report's worth. But overall, that tells us that Jalen Hurts will likely get the full year, barring extremely poor play. And if that's the case, then you're not going to be using him anyhow. So I actually, the fact that Watson won't be there, we know for sure, made me more confident in Hurts. I'm uh, I'm a little more hesitant on uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I, I have him at QB 11. And it's that's, that's just, I have him too. I'm just I'm just waiting for the CDC to give him full approval. You know, yeah, exactly. But once that happens, you know, then then we're then we're all on board. I, I can't get it out of my head that Nick Sirianni is just chomping at the bit to bench Jalen Hurts. Like I I really I really believe that if Hurts struggles as a passer, like he did last year, completing I think 51 or 52 percent of his passes, mm-hmm. if that happens in the early season. I I can, I can definitely see a scenario where Sirianni says that's enough. Like you're you're gone, you're done. This is my system. We're going to do it my way. Uh, he seems like that kind of coach. I know that that I may be reading into it a, a little bit. If Hurts stays on the field and can get by as a passer, then his rushing upside is tremendous, and you probably have a, a, a great pick in in both superflex and one quarterback leagues. I just I'm very uh, bearish on that prospect. With Hurts, I just can't get past the fact, you know, even if the Eagles aren't committed, like we're secretly not going to be committed to Jalen Hurts, like talking a player up is like free. You know, there's like no downside to like talking a player up. It's like, you know, boosting the confidence like of a second year player. And they'd passed up every opportunity to do that. Like they've never done that. They haven't tossed like Jalen Hurts basically like any bouquets in the press at all. And then their actions are mirroring like their lack of words or they're hunting like any alternative a quarterback and like Gardner Minshew is like easy to laugh at, but I mean, I'm sure they view Gardner Minshew as like an actual alternative. And like if Hertz gets off to like a struggling passing start, I think, I don't think they'll be afraid to go to Gardner Minshew. It might even like be like seeking reasons to go to Gardner Minshew. Just, they just don't seem to like the guy at quarterback. And just see, it's been like eight months. And I, have we heard a single positive quote from the Eagles coaching staff? The, when Jalen the, Hurts? Like, so Sirianni said uh, at the beginning of training camp that Hurts would something like uh, he'll be out there with the ones for now. Hmm. He said for now. So he, I mean, he's been very precise. Sirianni has been very precise about how he talks about Jalen Hurts. You know, he's, he's earned the right to be the first team quarterback at this very second. I can't talk about five minutes from now, but at this second, yeah. Also, is Joe Flacco the number two still? Or is it Minshew? Because Maybe I thought he's number two. Um, I, don't hope on Flacco. I don't hope. I don't, I'm not. I don't hope that Joe Flacco <laughs> plays. He has no part in this. He's, he's not doing all in on Flacco. You've been talking about him all oh, season. Um. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. I, I think I would think that the, the season at the opening of the season, Minshew will be number three. Yeah, Flacco would be the backup, but I, I could see that flipping as bet, gets more acclimated. My guess is that Gardner Minshew will be like the healthy scratch in week one. Uh, but like if there were like a hurts injury or they're going to make a change, then Minshew would become the starter. Jalen would be like the healthy scratch and Flacco. is this going to be like the number two in like every scenario. But uh, I just like completely made that up on the spot and have no idea. And her, John, I'll let you finish the point. I would say it hurts my ranking. I do. I have him as a QB eleven. I actually have him behind like the efficiency mavens, like Matthew Stafford and Tom Brady and Justin Herbert. 
but I have them ahead of like the rest of like the questions tier, like Trey Lance, Joe Burrow, and you know, the knee uncertainty and Justin Fields and the starting uncertainty. So I still have them at the front of the line for like the question quarterbacks, but I do have them behind like, even though they're not dual threats, I have them behind like the guys like Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford, who for any given week are a really solid bet to throw two or three touchdowns. That's fair. I think we're all agreeing pretty much a low end QB one. It was just three full games, so a small sample. So whichever way you lean, but last year in his full starts, 12 carries per game and the third quarterback in fantasy points per game. So, yeah. I mean, if he lives up to that again, then suddenly he's obviously in the top tier, which we don't think he could sustain all year because the poor arm does not go back to last year like he always had a bad throwing arm in college as well yeah. uh but just the fact and we talked about it last week i think kez walken starting in the slot just another speed guy also with jalen rager another deep threat and Devontae smith who can play all, all over the field he's going to be either be chucking or running and i don't think that's bad it could lead to some poor games likely will but i think the ceiling like he could win weeks as well at times yeah, I mean, that's an important, super important point that we hopefully we haven't lost sight of with Jalen Hurts. I mean, he could win leagues, you know, not just weeks, though. Like, that right. is still within the range of outcomes that Jalen Hurts wins. Like, if he's just a passable passer, we know the legs could end up second to only Lamar Jackson. So, there's a, the downside is self evident, but we shouldn't lose, fact, lose sight of the fact that the upside is still self evident. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. We are in the thick of draft season, and to help you get an edge on your competition, we've extended 20% off of our annual subscription using promo code FBPOD20. So get fully prepared for your draft using our player rankings, projections, John Daigle's tiers, our league sync tool, and many other tools. Again, that code is FBPOD20. The guide has been updated to reflect all the latest news, including J.K. Dobbins's season-ending torn ACL, go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash draft guide. You know, another team, they're just like intent on making news over the weekend. And a weekend where, you know, maybe only about half the teams played their starters at all was the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Raheem Mostert started against the Raiders, but Trey Sermon also saw time with the first-team offense. Trey Sermon's currently the RB26 on underdog. Raheem Mostert's the RB30 on Yahoo, that's flipped, where Raheem Mostert's going early in the ninth round. Trey Sermon is going in the mid-ninth round. Uh, who are you guys more comfortable drafting at this point? Would you rather take the shot of like the stable veteran and Raheem Mostert leading the offense or the fourth-round rookie and Trey Sermon? Denny, will go to you first. Uh, give me Mostert. 
I want most or uh, the, the price differences, uh, the ADP difference is negligible. And um, every indication is that Mostert is is going to be the one a at, at least to start the season. I, I know the injury thing with with Mostert. I get it. Like that's doesn't it makes me feel a little bit queasy. I, and, you know, don't get me wrong, but um, he's much more, I think, of a big play threat. He's a better receiving back. Uh, he just I think he fits what Kyle Shanahan wants to do as much as as any back you know, could, uh, right now. And, and I, I don't, I, I think the sermon is, is his path to every week fantasy relevance is pretty narrow. Whereas I think most is a little wider. Right. I take whomever's ADP is lower since we know it's a committee. And right now it's Mostert, albeit slightly where it was two rounds yeah. up until three weeks ago. Uh, the fact that Sermon is there strictly because they want to keep Mostert healthy tells you that they even know Mostert is their most important running back. Yeah. Mostert can do things Sermon cannot do, as in be extremely explosive. He's literally a ball of lightning. And so I take the value that he is after Sermon. I understand that Sermon could win leagues if this injury history lingers with Mostert and he does perhaps get injured. Also, Sermon, though, was oft injured in college as well. Right. I still think we slightly overrate the last two playoff games he played at Ohio State like the last time we saw him really he was exploding so I don't I, I'm still taking the most value every time I will say I think Mostert is probably going to be the first guy off the board in like the league we're in like the services where it's more like the season-long only players mm-hmm. coming back we it was just the vast majority of like the fantasy universe still like I think Mostert will probably be the first off the board and like Yahoo on ESPN but so Sermon will probably be a slightly better value, but it will be so negligible that I actually am comfortable betting on Mostert, even at the higher ADP, just because like, like Danny said, like you, you both, like they signaled, you know, just how important Raheem Mostert still is to this offense. Like they kept him off his feet for most of the summer. They need him so badly. I bet you the, the, the door is wide open for Trey Sermon because Raheem Mostert just can't stay healthy. Right. Too. Yeah. But, uh, he has the one A right now, and that really is just enough for me to bet on Mostert. But I understand betting on Trey Sermon. Yeah, uh, when I interviewed uh, Matt Mayaku, NBC's uh, beat writer for the 49ers, um, he said that uh, Raheem Mostert is a quote the dynamic big play threat out of the backfield. Uh, he did say later that uh, Mostert and Sermon would be treated as quote interchangeable pieces in the Niners' backfield, so that. It could give you know uh, uh, some some am- ammunition to sermon truthers who r- really believe that that he's the guy, like the long term uh, guy there. And the injury question, you know, lingers large here. It just does. And uh, uh, I, honestly, I don't find myself targeting either guy, which you know may come back to to haunt me. If I'm getting a, a Niners running back, I'm probably getting like Wayne Gallman in the last round or something. I also think Diego Diego Lopez, the chat brings up a very good point, because remember, we record these videos as well live. So if you tune in at 1 p.m. Eastern on Monday or 2 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday or the time I always forget, I think it's 2 p.m. Eastern Thursday, right? That's the one I always forget. Uh, You can also just chat with us and perhaps we pull questions sometimes from there. And he says that Sermon Mostert also seems like a team build thing. And I totally agree. Uh, Like your CMC, your Dalvin Cook teams, whatever hero or anchor 
running back you build, whatever you want to call it. As an RB2, Sermon fits in with the Javante Williams types and that we know they'll be splitting touches at the end of the year, but also project as league winners in like the last month or two of the season if the other player gets out of the way for whatever reason. I like it. So I think yeah, it's, we've... I think we got to the heart of that situation, which is still that we don't truly know who we prefer. And, uh, but still it's, there's going to be fantasy value in that situation. And hopefully you can divine it from there somehow. Uh, Elsewhere, you know, this weekend for the 49ers, they rotated quarterbacks versus Vegas. I believe who Vegas didn't play their starters. It's weird that Vegas is being like more progressive than Kyle Shanahan. John Gruden's the guy not playing the starters. Kyle Shanahan's out here playing the starters, but it's probably because he has so many question marks in this offense and, you know, they rotated, they, they used both quarterbacks on like the same drive. Correct. Uh, and like Kyle Shanahan said Monday, that will always be an option. Um, John, does this settle? And John, by the way, I'm going to you first. Cause you, I know you really wanted to talk about this topic. We haven't talked about it at all. Uh, does this settle the Trey Lance, Justin Fields debate once and for all is like Lance, just like too risky, or can, or can we be fu- can we be fully comfortable with Lance? Or is he in the Taysom Hill zone, basically? It is my pen tweet from over a month ago, <laughs> if you look. And I point that out because the way we were drafting Trey Lance was the strategy to mask him the entire time for this scenario. The fact you want to add Lance is because you want to add a top 10 potential quarterback, but you also have to mask him just in case this happens. Denny has the usage his side in a second, but again, I was always drafting Trey Lance with Sam Darnold or Kirk Cousins since their first six games are cupcake. And we know quarterback matchups can increase and make quarterbacks excel more so than even talent sometimes, especially if the matchup is quite easy. Previously, I have some leagues out there where I do have just Trey Lance because the idea was I will draft Trey Lance anyways. And then if I see he's still not starting in week one, I will pick up Zach Wilson or Sam Darnold who play each other in week one. And I expect that to be one of the biggest shootouts in week one. Also the the, uh, Vikings play the Bengals. I think cousins, if he's on your waiver wire is a tremendous pickup as well, because that could be a shootout too. If Joe Burrow and the Bengals, the Bengals offensive line can protect Joe Burrow at all and so that's how i'm still playing trey lance right now i am drafting him with the quarterback to mask him again it is a redraft league so you don't have i understand some people don't want to have two quarterbacks i just think trey lance's potential is so great once he takes over whenever that may be that i still want him on every single team all right so they rotated uh the niners rotated quarterbacks for two drives against the raiders uh 49ers went 68 yards and 10 plays on the first drive uh, Lance got five, five ca- uh, snaps, and then Garoppolo got five snaps. The second series, they went 75 yards and 14 plays. Garoppolo had nine snaps. Lance had five, uh, and Lance finished it off with an easy walk-in, a three-yard touchdown on a read option play. Now, Kyle Shanahan has a large brain, and we, we know this. He does. And he loves, he loves to think, and he loves to <laughs> get fancy and creative on the field. This is perfect. This is a perfect scenario for him to just yank his quarterbacks on and off the field all season. I think that this is a possibility that we're going to see this consistently. And it's going to, you know, put uh, defenses, opposing defenses in a bind until they figure it out. And I, I do think that there's a pretty good chance defenses will figure it out because defenses figure out everything, every little trick 
that and the NFL offenses try, right? I mean, it, it works for a while and then doesn't wildcat and whatnot. This could have some staying power. Uh, you know, the uh, athletic writer, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tim Kawakami said today, uh, he said, uh, this might be really fun, not sort of fun, extremely fun for Kyle Shanahan as a coach for the rest of the 49ers offense, for 49ers fans, and even Garoppolo and Lance, and specifically not fun for defenses if Sunday's performance uh, by the Raiders' second string defense is any evidence. I so. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it could destroy the fantasy value of both guys. I still am trying to roster Lance, though. I will say that I do worry a little bit because it limits the playbook Garoppolo. If even if you go back to that last game, uh, Trey Lance had an RPO call with Mostert on the field and the defense went one way. Lance kept the ball and trotted for a double digit yard gain. You can't do that with Garoppolo. You literally have to throw out all your RPOs in the playbook. When he's under center, you basically know if he drops back, he's going to throw like there is no taking off. So that's why I'm concerned. But that may be more hand in the dirt football talk than fantasy. Denny, I think you kind of in two parts laid out what I think is going to happen where it seems like he is like really getting into this idea heading into week one, Kyle Shanahan. And I think maybe he actually will try it. Uh, and this is, which is a very college approach. So, like it's totally alien at the NFL level. We see it all the time in college, but what we also see all the time in college is that teams will do this to like begin a season. And then oftentimes by the end of the season, they are no longer doing it. Because like you said, defenses do just – even college defenses, even Big 12 defenses right, right. just like figure this out eventually. And it's usually not tenable for an entire season unless it is like Taysom Hill where it's like very like exclusive defined parts of the field. Like it's not the entire drive. Um, so I do think if he does do this, it's going to be abandoned at some point and it's going to be abandoned in favor of Trey Lance. But I have seen enough of Trey Lance where like if I'm debating like the high upside rookies – I'm just going Justin Fields at this point. Even if Trey Lance is playing in week one and Justin Fields isn't, once Justin Fields is in there, you know, we know there's not going to be like an Andy Dalton package. Um, So it's going to be Fields running away with the job. And for me, this was enough to like kind of definitively answer the question for me. I I do prefer, I I would rather take my rookie QB1 moonshot on Justin Fields over Trey Lance. And the strategy I laid out, I will say it has holes because if it goes past week six, when the 49ers return from their bye in week seven and Lance is still splitting with Garoppolo, the plan has failed because uh, perhaps you throw out Sam Darnold after that. But the schedule does get a little tougher. So this is only to mask until the 49ers return from bye when I would assume Lance takes over at the latest. But that could be wrong. What, What could go wrong with Darnold? That that's that's been my question. Nothing is ever bad has ever happened, especially after he averaged, I think, four point seven yards per attempt. Uh, his four point seven a dot in the preseason. It was the second lowest among quarterbacks. He has Dan Arnold, Dan Arnold now, which is all that that matters. Sure, he is a as we heard last pod. Dan Arnold is a one tight end redraft starter. <laughs> yes, and I agree with you. I just struggle to see what could go wrong with a quarterback whose signature pro moment was being caught in a hot mic saying he was sensing pressure that wasn't there. And it's just very, very hard to see what could go wrong in that situation. If Sam Darnold goes wrong against the Texas Cowboys, then yes, something is drastically, I mean, then the plan, it just burns. It's incinerates to the ground. Yeah. If that happens, then I think the Panthers are going to maybe finally start getting like the analytics benefit of the doubt. Like we disregard the Panthers as the analytics franchise, basically just because they say they're the analytics franchise. 
Um, and that's going to really be put to the test. The analytics didn't say Darnold over Fields. That's all no, I know. They did Correct. not. Correct. They did not. Um, but at least the Panthers also didn't say that it's harder to find a franchise corner than a oh, franchise oh. quarterback like fellow Fields passers, <laughs> Denver Broncos said. Uh, hopefully that becomes one of the most infamous quotes in NFL history, by the way. Uh, if you don't know, you know, George Patton, the new Broncos uh, GM, said it was harder to find a franchise cor- cornerback than a franchise quarterback, which uh, I think I feel like we would all maybe debate that. Yeah. Um, but we're going to stick with quarterback talk. We don't do a ton of quarterback talk on the show, but a question I've been fi- I've found myself thinking about. So over the weekend uh, in the slow draft, John and I are both in together. I took the Mahomes plunge. I made Mahomes the first quarterback off the board in the fourth round. We've talked a lot this offseason, you know, about like late round QB is not dead, but it's definitely different in this age of like elite dual threats where like the difference between like the top five quarterbacks and like six through 10, six through 12 is gr- a lot greater than it used to be. And you have to give more thought to like the true difference making quarterbacks and like the top five or six. And my question would be, say Mahomes is already off the board. Like say you've decided you want to like kind of go against the grain, you know, all the receiver values are already gone. The RBs are already totally picked over and you're like, I'm just going to get a difference maker, a quarterback who out of like the Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, tier Denny, would you prioritize getting in drafts? It's hard. It's for me, it, it comes down to Jackson or, or Allen. Uh, and I, I have to say Jackson, uh, I, I think, you know, things went askew last year for, for the, for the jet, for Jackson and the Ravens pretty much all year. Um, and hence his, his ADP has dropped five, five or six rounds from where it was a year ago. At this point, the, the, the rushing upside, just, it's hard to, it's hard to overemphasize that, that, that's, that sort of production, that sort of. Uh, the sort of cheat code that Lamar Jackson is. And I know we, we've had two, two and a half seasons now of seeing him play and seeing him produce like this for both real football and, and fantasy. So it's kind of old hat by now, but it's still amazing. It's still incredible. And he, he will always, as long as he in, in the prime of his career, and he's not injured. Let's pray on this. Um, you know, that, uh, that he's, he's always in contention for the, the QB one overall. It is Lamar Jackson, and dare I say, it is not close. In his last six games, because everyone thinks he was he was flawed throughout the entire year, they returned from the COVID list. Last six games starts against the Cowboys. Lamar went right back to where he was in his 2019 MVP campaign after regressing before then. Uh, 66 per completion rate and 11 and a half carries per game from that point on through the playoffs. Mark Andrews got out of his little shuffle of bad performances he had and averaged 14 fantasy points per game in his last six starts. Marquise Brown averaged just fewer than seven targets per game and 15 and a half fantasy points per game from weeks from those last six games as well. So you don't really look at what happened before then because that's the regression that we should have noted anyhow it what happened after that and yet we're still getting a discount on all these players which is why i've been just scooping them all up and the best part about lamar jackson is that he's always going after josh allen he's usually going after kyler murray when i think he's clearly number two if not number one tied with patrick mahomes in their own tier so i am all in on jackson and i still worry about josh allen 
I think everyone's drafting last year's stats. Uh, perhaps he doesn't regress, but we've seen with Mahomes, we've seen with Lamar, we've seen in the past that this is what happens because 9% TD rates like just don't hold up. There is meat on the bone because weeks five through eight against the Bills, it was not their fault. They had four games reshuffled. They had only 14 days total rest between those games because the Titans, all these other teams, the Steelers mishaps happened along the way. So there is a still perhaps a ceiling but i just do worry they were too efficient and thus due for regression there you go i love the strong take on lamar jack thank you thank you for doing what i couldn't do which <laughs> which was which was take a a stance and say no it's lamar period Un- end of discussion yeah. You're right. Now, now, if you test positive, that's uh, out of my hands. I, I can't help you there. But let's, yes, you know, that's what it is. Let's hope there are some changed minds in the Baltimore. Let's hope. Yeah, Lamar, we've got some literature you can read. Uh, we'll send it over. Uh, I'm going to ensure that the answer, that the real life answer will be Josh Allen by saying Kyler Murray. I think <laughs> Kyler is, I, I, I'm going to use the same word John used. I think Kyler is the clear number two quarterback. Because I think of amongst the dual threats, the quarterbacks of legs, only Lamar has a higher rushing floor and a higher rushing ceiling. I think Kyler is clearly the second best runner amongst the dual threats. And then amongst the dual threats, I just think he's like the best pure passer still. I think he's a better pure passer than Josh Allen, which might be hearsay. Um, I think he's obviously a better passer than Lamar Jackson. And so much volume too. Um, Like Josh Allen can maybe end up with similar volume, but we know Josh Allen's like rushing volume, but while high, and especially in the red zone, won't approach Kyler Murray's. And I just like find him to be the best passing option amongst the dual threats and the second best rushing option. You know, the Cardinals too last year saw like what happens to their offense when Kyler's like not rushing as happened like down the stretch, the most critical games of the season. It wasn't really like that functional of an offense, maybe because he wasn't passing as well because his shoulder was injured, but I am still all aboard the Kyler Murray train in year three of his career. Um, I will say I got a little spooked. I've been all aboard with Josh Allen that, you know, like, like 2020 felt like career year material basically. And like this obvious regression and the bills were probably just working on something over the weekend, but the fact, you know, they went an entire quarter without running the ball at all. And kind of like really feeding into that, that they're a team that just, they're not going to bother to establish it. They'll run if it's truly the best option on that play. But like they think pass first, only run if it's like truly necessary, truly EV. And like if they like not only stick with the approach they had last year, but like even go more all in on it, then Josh Allen like gets into really serious, like pushing for number one overall territory. Yes. And like regression will not be in the cards. Yes. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, they are our bills. And uh, they will never establish the run, which I, I, I give them credit for. I mean, their, their offensive coordinator said straight up a couple weeks ago when they asked about, you know, are you going to run it? You need to run it. He said, uh, yeah, I mean, we might run it, but I want to score points. I, I actually want to take that, Pat, and transition into our last segment because we are talking our top three fades if you're drafting this weekend. And my top fade is whomever's ADP is highest 
among the Bills' backfield because everyone is trying to prioritize one or the other. Right now, that is Moss over Singletary, and I think it's absolutely incorrect, especially given how far apart two to four rounds, depending on the format that they are going. It's bad enough that this is a three-headed backfield now with Matt Breida after, even if he's sprinkled in, he still takes up touches from what last year was already combined for the fourth fewest touches per game in the league among this backfield. And now if it holds as it did the usage on Sunday with Zach Moss playing 16 snaps, Singletary playing 15, and Matt Breida playing seven, there just aren't enough touches and usage go around for everyone. Also, to everyone's point, Buffalo finished with the league's second highest pass play rate and neutral great game script last year. On Sunday, Allen passed on 26 of his 33 snaps in the first half. And my point is, if the Bills running backs get carries, the offense gets less efficient and thus worse. So it's not like you're drafting running backs in a good offense. Like it would then be not bad, but it wouldn't be the ceiling you think that they have if they're suddenly handing the ball off to any of these running backs, because that's not what Dable does. He's an intelligent play caller. He knows that makes his offense worse. So why we're trying to force one in over the other is insane to me. John is talking about our shy away 30, which is live in our draft guide at NBCSportsEdge.com slash win. That's a great article. And with all the stuff I mentioned early in the show, we're just t- it's talking basically about each of our staff writers just choosing five guys they're avoiding at cost, basically. And it's not like we're saying these guys are going to be like busts, but just at the ADP, uh, that's just, you know, it's just like a class. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're fading. We're fading these players at their ADP and, But the Bills running backs, John, like, you know, like we're the fantasy analysts. We're the ones who are supposed to be making these tough decisions. Every situation has value at some point. But I just totally agree on the Bills backfield. Just like, don't be the guy trying to find value in the Bills backfield because I don't think you're going to find it there for all the reasons you we've just laid out. And like, just like, why this is is not a situation you're not going to like win this situation. I don't, I don't think either Devin Singletary or Zach Moss are ever going to fully separate from each other. The volume is going to be so sparse, especially for like a committee. It'd be one thing if it was one running back, but it's clearly a committee and just let someone else try to figure out where the value is in this bill's backfield. Cause I just do not think it's there. It's, it's a, it's probably not going to matter. That's the thing. It's like, like you could hit on the right one and it still won't like, you know, help your team tremendously. You're probably not going to be in a position to, you know, you know, uh, play, play them in 12 team leagues, unless you're, you know, really hard up at at running back. I kind of, you know, sometimes I think about Singletary's role in the passing game, running a lot of routes, whatever, maybe, you know, maybe that checks out. Maybe he's, he's something in PPR, maybe Moss gets, you know, a bunch of touchdowns as the bigger back who, who gets goal line carries, short yardage carries, whatever. But yeah, I, I think that you're, you're better off just targeting other backfields. You just always go back to the question we should always ask ourselves in life with decision-making and is what do we win if we win? And if you tell me you win because Zach Moss leads the backfield and touches, I tell you, I don't care. I let yeah. you win because I don't think that hurts me at all. Yeah. So that's a nice bow to put on it. Uh, Denny, who is one of your shy away players? Yeah, this is weird for me uh, because I have been, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't really mean to be and it wasn't intentional, but I've been a Mike Evans truther for years, for six, seven years, however long he's been in the league. No more, no more. I am, I'm way off Mike Evans at his ADP of 
Well, I was here 14 at last check. Hi. That is something. He's going over Amari Cooper, over Cooper Cup, over Tyler Lockett. I mean, I could go on and on. DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, all those guys I would take over over Mike Evans. I outlined, uh, you know, my, my reasoning in, in the piece, but just to you know, give a, a little, little preview here, uh, you know, he had a, a career low. Mike Evans had a career low, 109 targets last year. Uh, and the second fewest yards of his sec, uh, seven year career, this Tom Brady offense. And that's what it is. I mean, it is, it's Tom Brady's system is never going to be one that focuses on one pass catcher and, you know, creates a, a monster yardage season. Um, and that's that's what we had. That's what we enjoyed with uh, Mike Evans for years in Tampa, whether it was Ryan Fitzpatrick or, or Jameis Winston throwing on the ball. That's that's over. So, uh, you know, I guess, you know, if he com- if he comes close to that 18, 19 percent touchdown rate that he had in 2020, I suppose that he could come close to, uh, you know, to to being, uh, you know, the, a top 15 wide receiver. But I think that he's actually and this is the worst, worst of all worlds in fantasy. He's being drafted, I believe, above his ceiling. It also comes down to how drastic the splits were without Chris Godwin. He played four games without Chris Godwin last year. Evans did. And those are the only four games, I guess, he packed the axe touchdown for men to put on pregame. He scored a touchdown in all four of those games, something we know we can't count on. Also, 6.2 targets per game with Chris Godwin jumps all the way to 8.5 per game without Godwin. Also, averaged seven more fantasy points per game 13 to 20 without Chris Godwin. So the splits are just far too drastic. It's more of a low end wide receiver two that he was when everyone was available, as opposed to the wide receiver one numbers. He logically posted when Godwin, the primary slot receiver was not around. And that's why I worry about his current ADP. Right. And Antonio Brown is, a, is an issue as yes. well. Um, you know, we don't have to go super in, you know, deep into that, but he was, he was only there for eight games last year. He's fully in the offense now. He's Tom Brady's friend and confidant. I, you know, I, I think that there's there's something to be said about Brown leading the uh, receivers or leading the team in, in targets. Brown played eight games and was a wide receiver one, a top 12 finish in half of them. Man, I didn't need to hear that. <laughs> I'm real into Chris Godwin this year because I think people are too low on Chris Godwin because I think that uh, I, Godwin just seems like the perfect kind of receiver to mind meld with Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, I'm, and on the Evans fade too because Brady, he attempted plenty of deep passes last year, but he doesn't enjoy like, especially like intermediate sideline shots. Like the intermediate sideline shot was like, I feel like one of the, the most infrequent Tom Brady passes. And like Mike Evans needs those to like really survive as like a fantasy wide receiver one. And he can get close. If he's, if he's just the red zone guy, if he's the new Gronk in the red zone for Tom Brady, which he was last year, that can get him close to wide receiver one. But yeah, you know, he's a guy who's always averaged tons of yards per catch, always blown by a thousand yards, barely got a thousand yards last year. He's just beyond the red zone. He's not a great fit with what Tom Brady wants to do at age 44. So I, I am on board with Denny's fade. Um, the guy I'm most, I, you know, I'm not going to talk for my guy. I'm not going to talk about Kyle Pitts today because um, Kyle Pitts is one of my guys, but you know, a little spooked after his lone preseason target. We're like, oh, this guy, uh, this guy looks pretty good, folks. Um, no, Kyle Pitts is one of my players, but I'm going to talk about, you know, a lot of people will say this is kind of a duh one, 
Um, but sometimes you need to articulate why a guy is a duh fade and he doesn't have a duh fade ADP. And then is Miles Gaskin with the Dolphins. And uh, I mean, again, there's gonna be a lot of people not drafting Miles Gaskin. But there's a lot of people who are in on Miles Gaskin. They think he's undervalued, that like the fading has gone too far. But when I see Miles Gaskin, I just see like the classic jack of all trades, master of none. A guy who's kind of like a South Beach, like Jamal Williams, basically. Like someone I feel like is kind of like cloned by his backup and like Salvin Ahmed. Like not a big difference between Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed. Uh, Malcolm Brown, you know, people are making fun of like people like getting in on Malcolm Brown after one preseason game, but that actually goes back to like coach quotes in May with Malcolm Brown, like talking about Mike Malcolm Brown might have an early down role, might have a goal line role. Like basically like the Dolphins are going to take another run at the Jordan Howard role, which didn't go very well for them last year. No. Um, and like is Patrick Crane, I was talking about him with Miles Gaskin recently, just kind of like the opportunity cost of the wide receivers you pass on to draft Miles Gaskin and like what the fifth round and like you better be really certain that he's got this role locked down and he's going to monopolize touches like last year. Because like, if he doesn't like you're making a catastrophic decision drafting that a committee back over receivers who have like wide receiver one ceilings. And so I just, Miles Gaskin is someone I have, I've not drafted. I didn't, I wasn't prioritizing a best ball. I don't have any redraft drafts. I just think Miles Gaskin is, is is not going to repeat this year. I had him in early drafts once before the draft, literally before the NFL draft. But since that time, it was not only Malcolm Brown, which we're worried about in free agency, but also the fact that they kept on trying to add other running backs. And then the preseason usage really got to me. Uh, Gaskin's usage in the second game with the starters did return to what, similar to what we saw last year. Last year, of course, from week three on, when they finally started healthy scratching Jordan Howard, Gaskin had a 13% target share and averaged 20 touches per game. But the fact is what we saw in the preseason pretty much tells us, at least I assume so, that those touches are no longer there, that they're now going to be shared, probably split with Malcolm Brown, Brown getting the role that Gaskin would need to have, the third down and goal line role. And so that's why I'm extremely down. Having said that, though, I still treat him, even though you can't get him there just yet. I'm surprised his ADP hasn't dipped all the way there yet, but I still treat him as a contingency guy, someone like A.J. Dillon, after the fact in the later rounds, if he's there, because if Malcolm Brown gets out of the way for whatever reason, injury, maybe I think Gaskin goes right back into that role from last year. Did, did the Dolphins really start making Jordan Howard a healthy scratch beginning in week three last yeah. year? Yeah. Like, and they had two games where he did not do well. And then uh, the yeah. plan, like, like, like you, you, unless you got some stones going in the air with the Jordan Howard role. Then you have no courage of your convictions. You pull the plug after two weeks. I believe he was cut by week six. Yeah. Or they had a mutual agreement as the team always releases. Yeah. That might be the sign of a bad plan that he's already healthy scratched by week three and then released by week. So Malcolm Brown, we're all, we're all counting on you. Um, You need to, you need to clear that bar. You need to still be uh, on the 46 man Sunday roster by week three to better Jordan Howard. Uh, So you can find all those write-ups, write-ups on 30 players in our draft guide with our shy away list at NBC sports edge.com slash win. That is all the time we have for today. Patrick Crane will be back on Tuesday. Matt Straup and the three of us, Pat, John, and Denny, will be back on Thursday. Good luck with your drafts this week. We'll be refreshing the site constantly. We're going to have new articles all week, but new blurb updates all week as rosters finalize, take their final form. You can finally start getting some questions answered, maybe on like these situations like the Ravens 
backup running back situation. So stay glued to NBCSportsEdge.com all week. For John, for Denny, I'm Pat. Catch you later. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.